Johnny. Uh, welcome to our next episode. We are counting down the best picture winners from worst to best. Yeah, based on our unscientific list, uh, aggregate list. And we are up to number 55. Yes. What movie are we talking about today? Today we're talking about The Artist. Yes. From what year was The Artist? 2011. 2011. Yes. Okay. Yep. So I watched it so, this week. Did you watch it? Yes, I watched okay. it. Okay. This is yeah. my first time watching it. Yeah, yeah. So you said last week that you hadn't even heard of it. Or at least even, until I started predicting. Right, right. You know. yeah. And you told me I had to just yeah. put it up and watch it and not know anything, right. not not read any description or anything. Right. Did you so do that's that? what I did. Okay. Yes. Oh, so well, just started playing. And, and, um, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. That. So if. If you want to do the same, then you better do it now because we're going to spoil the movie. Yes. Uh, we're talking about it. So here's your spoiler warning. And we are in 2011. Mm-hmm. You remember that year? Yeah, I do. A couple kids in college? Three years. Three. Two, three, or two kids in college. Started? Oh, and Lindsay graduated in 2012 from high oh, school. Okay. Yeah, we had just started um, formation, diaconate formation. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's a busy year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we don't have to do a whole lot to set the time period because we've already discussed 2010 and 2012. Okay. So this is the best picture winner right in between The King's Speech and Argo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll kind of put it in the time period. Mm-hmm. This is when the Academy switched to having that threshold so the best picture count would vary. So anything with more than 5% of the vote would be nominated for Best Picture with the high of 10, a low of 5, and this year they had 9. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think why they did that is so that you know it kind of prevents getting these kind of outlier nominees that just don't have a lot of support. Okay, yeah. So, but I don't know if that kind of worked out that way because they ended up getting, uh, somehow got... Five percent. They took a lot of heat for a movie that got below fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, kind of the lowest, okay, worst reviewed best picture winner, best picture nominee of recent years. Um, extremely loud and incredibly close. I think it tops out at like a forty-five percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Have you heard of it? No. Or seen it? No, I've never. <laughs> I've never heard of it. So. So is somebody trying to rig the system? You know, like no, I, you would hear yeah. um, you had trolls <laughs> on for what right. is it? Um, yeah, What's I don't that? remember the guy's name, but well, there was yeah, like there was an American Idol thing yeah. about for the worst. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think that's it. You know, it, extremely loud and incredibly close. It's based on a Jonathan Safran Foer novel that was. Uh, so I think there's probably a lot of fans out there of the novel. It's the story of a, a child who's uh, on the spectrum. Uh, his father died in 9-11. father was played by Tom Hanks in flashbacks. And his mom is Sandra Bullock. And it's tries kind of a sweet-natured story where he... Before the father died, he did like little, he would design little scavenger hunts for him to get him to interact with others, you know, mm-hmm. help with his autism and, and kind of be comfortable in New York City and the landscape and stuff. And so then after. So the boy is remembering all this? Yeah, there's some flashbacks to mm-hmm. that. And then after his death, he like finds a key or something and it starts a whole mystery where. He kind of puts together things about his father. And so, I mean, it goes towards a very sweet-natured, kind of a whimsical thing, which I just don't think really works. It comes off kind of maudlin. Mm-hmm. And obviously, at least for 5% of the Academy, it worked. It worked. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not a very well-received film. Um, I think it just it kind of... It's ambitious in that it... I don't want to pick on a kid actor, but it's it's the type of story that you really need, like an all timer. Right. Puts a lot on this young actor who's not mm-hmm. 
bad, but it's like, mm-hmm. in order for the movie to work, you really need like a, you know, Drew Barrymore in E.T. Exactly like level, or, thinking, or yeah. even um, uh, Elliot in E.T. Like right. That level yeah. of kid performance. Um, yeah. Or, uh, the, okay. uh, I wonder if part of that sense. is, you know, in 2011, there were a lot of, as I recall, 10th anniversary of Right, okay, of 9/11. yeah. 9-11. Yeah, that kind of played into yeah, it. Yeah, it was right, like really things. the first big remembrance of, you know, everybody like, can you believe it's been 10 years? So um, kind of a little bit of uh, yeah, that could be a reflection bit. on that. But, you because know, even by that uh, point, uh, we could see how much everything had changed and yeah. it had been so long since then. But that's, you know, extremely loud and incredibly close. Uh, not terribly well received, but um, has a small group of supporters, at least. Yeah. Okay. So you don't recommend watching it? Uh, no. There's plenty of other stuff to watch. Have you heard of The Descendants? No, but you put out, you have, it's nice, you're putting on the screen... Yeah. Uh, movie posters, so I can see yeah. that it's George so, um, Clooney. Maybe you could recognize it in case you don't know by the titles. Yeah, no, I've never yeah. heard anything of this except okay. I can see that it's George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney's in it. It's a, written and directed by Alexander Payne, who's kind of writes very um, character focused dramatic comedies, like he was in the Oscar hunt from earlier for Sideways. Uh, in 2004, which we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, but he also directed about Schmidt and Election. Uh, but The Descendants is a George Clooney movie where he's um, kind of a family comedy drama. He's a very wealthy landowner in Hawaii. And uh, his, his wife is on life support, I think, from a boating accident. And through that, he finds out I think he learns that she was having an affair and he has a complicated relationship with his teenage daughters. Um, Shailene Woodley is his daughter. This is her kind of first um, big movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a well-written, um, you know, laugh-you-cry type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I think yeah, you'd probably I'm, like that more. Than uh, it's interesting. I've never, never even heard of it. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we've Hugo. got... Oh, that Hugo. looks interesting. Yeah, this is a movie by um, Martin Scorsese, a very kind of a change of pace movie for him. He's known for very tough gangster uh-huh. movies. or, or, or um, So this is kind of... Did he do the Godfather called. movies? No, that's French's for a couple of Okay, sorry. The Goodfellas, Raging Bull... All right, I know I've asked yeah. you that before. No, that's fine. All right, so Hugo. Yeah. And I see a clock and a kid hanging from a yes. clock. Yeah, it's kind of a whimsical story that takes place early in the 20th century about a kid who kind of lives inside in this elaborate Paris train station. Like, inside the walls, he kind of cares for, takes care of the clocks and everything, so he kind of lives within the walls or these little compartment and he embarks on this mystery which has to do eventually with George Melier who is um Melier is a pioneering silent filmmaker in from the early days of French cinema uh so it's it's really kind of a love of cinema type of movie it's 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 kind of like um, I think of it as kind of like a Field of Dreams for movies instead of baseball. Oh, okay. And Hugo yeah. is the name of the title character? Yeah, Hugo is the title character, the kid. Got it. Yeah, uh, Ben Kingsley's in it. He plays Melier. Oh, okay. And we saw him in Gandhi. Yes, we saw him a lot in Gandhi. We saw him a lot in Gandhi. It's kind of about him. Yeah. yeah, we'll see him again in Schindler's List. Yeah. Okay. So. Probably not soon. Yeah. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, not soon. Uh, so, in addition to having Martin Scorsese in the mix, we also have Spielberg in the mix. Oh, 
As usual. As usual. Wild War Horse. Again, I have not heard of any of these movies. You haven't heard of War Horse? Yeah, that's kind of a feel good movie. You know, this typical Spielberg touches, so it's very well made. It's about a horse that it's also, again, in the early parts of the 20th century, and the horse is just, you know, it's on a farm, and then he goes off to in the cavalry in World mm-hmm. War One. He's kind of like a Forrest Gump, but for mm-hmm. horses. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that the movie works quite... I, I can see the book being... It's based on a book which is actually told from the horse. It's okay. like the first-person narrative, which I can see working a little bit better where it's just, right. you know, it's just a horse. But, you know, again, Spielberg is, you know... Can tug on the heartstrings, and so it's it's. Um, I, I would rank it fairly low on Spielberg's movies, but it is popular enough to get a Best Picture nomination. Okay, War yeah. Horse. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Oh, another again, movie that I've never heard of, but Min- I love the poster. It's like yeah. Van Gogh's Starry Night. Yes, Midnight in Paris. And to continue this trend of... Um, is that, um, what's his name? Owen Wilson. Owen, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, yeah. So this is continuing the trend of uh, filmmakers who came about in the 70s. So this is a Woody Allen movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very... It's by... It's his best received movie in years. His later epics really not that well-respected. There are... A couple things that have written risen, you know, um, above the chaff, but uh, this is certainly, I think, without question, his best movie of the twenty first century, and it's again very whimsical. It's about a, a modern day man who's kind of traveling in Paris, and he there's this street with these old shops were um, at the right time in twilight kind of goes back in time to the golden era of Paris. So for one evening, he's kind of hanging out with Toulouse Trek and Van Gogh and Picasso. And it's, it's a really, it's a lovely movie Ooh. and the you know, best Woody Allen movie in, in years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're seeing, we're seeing, yeah. Have you seen it? If you've never seen a Woody Allen movie, have you? Um, I've seen Woody Allen in a movie, so. Okay. So that would well, be a Woody Allen movie. Well, what's yeah, well, one with in, Diane Keaton? Well, Annie Hall, we will see. Yeah. Have I seen that? Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, we will see it. It's probably a, it'll be a while before we get to that. He, he plays an angsty guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> he plays a very Woody <laughs> Allen type character. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've seen him. Yeah. I feel like I've seen him in something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ants. Yes, maybe that's it. <laughs> okay. He's, he was a voice in ants. Yeah, an angsty voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very neurotic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So then we have a fourth director who came around, came of age in the seventies with Terrence Malick. I haven't heard of him. I know, but he's much more of an artsy type. Guy, he's um, makes very lyrical movies. Sometimes they're called tone poems, even though that's a musical term. But they're, they're not as reliant on narrative, but uses his imagery and the cinematography to evoke the emotions. And in, in particular, Tree of Life is a story about grief and, and regret and memory. And that's just, it's uh, Sean Penn is in the present day and he's remembering back to his childhood in Texas and like whenever you're in a reflective mood you don't and you're thinking about your past you're not necessarily thinking literally like okay this is you know, right. the story of your life but just various moments pop mm-hmm. up so it's kind of like that um, and then you know there are um, reflections on just the meaning of life Oh, and uh, Brad Pitt is in it as his dad in the flashback scenes. Uh, Jessica Chastain's his mother. It's a really beautiful movie. Not really for everybody because it is very kind of, I wouldn't say avant-garde, but it's 
you know. You should have been better. Not that excessive. You should have been better looking then, right? If his dad was Brad Pitt. And was <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should see what the postman looks um, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really... I, I, I didn't really like it when it came out, but I, when I saw it again for my, when I was going through the best of the decade, mm-hmm. um, I really responded well to it. Um, I ended up putting it kind of in the 10 to 15 range, but it still made my top 20, but it's one of the most acclaimed movies of the decade. Really? Like a lot of people put it at number one, like in the top three. Of the mm-hmm. of the twenty tens. Twenty tens. Oh, yeah, interesting. it's a very yeah. well received movie. Mm. I never heard of it. I love yeah. the picture of the newborn yeah, baby the foot. foot in the head's hands. Yeah, yeah, it's a very thoughtful movie. I think I think uh, you would get a lot out of it. I don't. Uh-huh. Uh, it might be frustrating for Anna, but you know, not. But okay. again, it's it's not. Well, don't mean that as a. Put down in any way. It's right. just some movies aren't for everybody. Right. Okay. Oh, I saw this. You saw The Help. The Help. Okay, the Help yes. is the next one. Yeah. I read the book and I saw the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I really like this. Yeah. I thought the book was delightful, but the movie really did a good job of, mm-hmm. of um, bringing it to life. Yeah. So, this is the story of. Um, takes place, I think, in the 50s or mid, mid-century, mid-20th century, um, and it's about the um, southern ladies, white ladies, with their um, black domestic servants, their maids right. and, and cooks. Viola Davis is, um, and Octavia Spencer uh, really shine as the maids. Um, it's told from the perspective of Emma Stone, who's a young Southern woman who's writing a book on their lives. Um, this was a focus of a lot of the pushback to the movie, just because, again, it's telling the story through a white protagonist. Right. And um, I think that was um, exacerbated by, you know, the Academy is coming off of... Uh, t- Two years before, from 2009, there was a big backlash with The Blind Side, which also tells a story about a black guy mm-hmm. through a white protagonist. Yeah. And in that case... Also a fun movie. Right. No, it's... We'll probably get into it more when we get to 2009, but I think there was more backlash in that case because... And I'll brush up on this when we get to it, but it's... I think the... The guy, the football player, mm-hmm. um, or his family objected to, said it wasn't accurate, right. and there was all right. this. So there was a lot of um, talk about, you know, white savior yeah. telling these stories. So then when the help comes out, it's much more well received, and it's a very big hit, but there's a lot of, oh, not again type yeah. of thing, which kind of, kind of right. affected, I think, its ultimate Oscar chances. Yeah, I I think though there's an element of that movie where it is, you know, it's told it's told from the perspective of the white woman, but it's really mm-hmm. about unconscious bias, right, of the time, yeah. which which is a white problem, right? No, it is. You know, that's, so, that's a good point. So I, right. you know, to me, I, you know, there's people that you that in the movie some of the women that were clearly, you know, really outwardly racist. Oh, uh, yeah. And then there were, but there were some who would never consider themselves racist, but But, were part of this system that they, of of just unconscious bias. And so... Yeah, I I see that in Driving with Daisy, too. Okay. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's the help. And then finally, oh, yeah. uh, last nominee is Moneyball. Moneyball. Money I did like Moneyball. I've seen it. I've seen it at least twice. I saw it again recently. I might yeah. have seen it more than that. Yeah, I do like Moneyball. So, yeah, this is the story of Billy Bean, mm-hmm. manager of the Oakland A's, and 
the his going towards the cybermetrics, mm-hmm. um, which is just uh, how would you describe cybermetrics? It's just using instead of relying so much of it had been relied on sort of instincts of the scouts, right? And they're you know five tool looking for these five tool players, and you know you've got to be a certain size and a certain you know whatever instead it went to just using statistics or an emphasis of using statistics on let's get on base right so let's find the people that Mm -hmm. are good at getting on base and then the the ultimate player that 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 embodies this is kevin eucalyst who was you know if you're a baseball fan, you know he is, and he's not the he's not the slugger. He's not the you know the one Star. that the scouts right. would right. go. But he gets on base and he helps teams win. Yeah, and um, yeah. So I think the idea is rather than because basic premise is that the Oakland A's just don't have the payroll that the New York right. Yankees have. Right. So in order, rather than spending twenty million dollars on such Giambi. Yeah, yeah. Recreate them in the aggregate by yes. getting, that's what it's about. Yeah. I also read the book. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I read the book first too, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we're the, both baseball fans, so I love right. baseball. Yeah. I might be a bigger baseball fan. You're probably that. a bigger baseball fan than I am. Um, I'm a big Moneyball fan. Mm-hmm. It's the, I like the contrast with the book because the book's very much about explaining what Moneyball is. Right. It's very much in the nitty gritty, and I don't think that Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis, that's his style of writing. Right. Yeah. He's not just a baseball guy. He's about. Oh, he's yeah. Because he did the one on the finance, the the fall. Oh right, yeah, yeah. The uh, I I know what you're talking about. Right. Was it the Big Short? The Big Short. Yeah, the Big Short is yeah, the 2015 movie. That's right. That's Michael Lewis. So, um, yeah, that book is very much about what Moneyball is. Mm-hmm. And what I like about the movie is it doesn't even seem to really care about the nitty-gritty of it. It's basically, the movie summarizes it, and it's just about getting on base. Yeah. And it's like, but it's more about this, the futility of trying to think that you can predict the future. Because it's not even just a story of how Moneyball works, because it's mm-hmm. kind of... The results are kind of ambiguous yeah, they are. at the end, but it's about Billy being kind of coming to terms with the fact that we never really know what we think we know. And where Moneyball is speculative, he's saying, well, so is the scouting system. Yeah. Because his life was turned upside down because mm-hmm. scouts promised him. Yeah. He made decisions based on what they said, oh, this is what the future's going to be. Right. And you can never really know that. And it's just a very human story about him coming to terms with the just that simple fact of life that we just don't know. And like that the players um, like the Scott Hattelberg played by Chris Pratt and there's David Justice is in it. But there are individual things on the line for these people um, who aren't big stars. But the decision, he kind of realizes the gravity that his decisions make on these people's lives. Mm-hmm. I just, and it's also like that's kind of my perception on the movie. There's also, there's no like big scene at the end where he's like, okay, the moral of the story, this is what I learned. Yeah. It's just, it kind of just depicts authentic people in an interesting situation and we can kind of draw our own conclusions from it, which I think is great, great storytelling. And it's my favorite baseball movie of all time. Yeah, it's really it's good. Of, I had it as the fourth best movie of the decade when I went through it. I just, I love Moneyball. I think yeah. it might be too low. There, there's so many far. good things to say about it. And, and it's yeah. even been, I don't know, a long time since I've seen it, but... You know, the interactions, the guy who plays the manager. Oh, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah, he's, he's so, so good. good. And he, you know, he's kind of the more old school guy having to right. deal with this 
general manager. And you can see his frustration with it. Oh, like, yeah. you know, his perspective is not right. unreasonable. It's, no, it's not because you're right, it's these it's this clash of these two systems. Right. And and they're both speculative, right? right? But one is is sort of sort of proven over time. It's just yeah. the way that it's done. And right. anyway, and I um, I also love who's the guy who is the pedestic character? Um, the one that is the money the the guy who Oh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Oh yeah. yeah so he's great. he plays he's... the number the young numbers yeah. guy who kind of turns the Billy Bean character mm-hmm. turns him on to this. He's so good. He's so good. Yeah, he yeah. got a best supporting actor nomination. Oh, did, oh yeah, so good. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Brad Pitt was nominated. He's, it's, yeah. I just love Money Ball. I just yeah. think it's really improved over the years in yeah. my estimation. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I think even back in 2001, I don't think, he was probably rooting for Midnight in Paris. I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, it's just, this is a movie that's really stuck okay. with me in the 10 years since and easily yeah. my favorite of this bunch. I, if you haven't seen Money Ball, I think you should go out and see yeah. it. It's Terrific. Yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. The only two movies that I've heard of from this I I have seen. And the okay. other ones I'd never okay. even heard of. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting lesson. You also hadn't heard of the artist. Which yeah, I hadn't heard of the artist at all, but now I know. Yeah. So what is the artist about? So the artist is about a silent movie star... So probably we probably start in the twenties or something. Yeah. So he's at the hot, the height wings, right? Ever heard of it? Movie wings. Yes. Nineteen twenty-seven. Seen it. Seen it. Uh, so he's at the height of his career, and the movie depicts him, the transition to talking movies, right. and so he, as this famous actor is wholly resistant to that and won't do talkies. And he the the uh, reasoning he gives is because if it's not acting, if people can hear your voice, it's like lessening right. it's yeah. like lessening it. And if it's it's not art if you know people can hear you know you you also hear it as well. So that's the example that or that's the reasoning right. he gives and he's just very stubborn and he won't he won't do any talking movies. So then we it, it kind of comes to one of the last, last scenes if not the last scene of the movie where mm-hmm. you realize oh, it's probably something else. But um, but anyway, so it shows mm-hmm. the transition and yeah. he kind of loses his fortune, he loses he falls from, he basically loses everything. Yeah, he loses right. his marriage, he loses everything. And it also follows the rise of a, uh, of a young actress who came in um, mm-hmm. at his height and then yeah. her star rises as his right. crashes to the ground. And it follows their sort of a, a love story, but it's a, it's a sweet love story. They don't. This isn't like a raging right. affair. They don't. Oh no! Yeah. They don't act it's, on it until he's so long divorced. I know divorced. that they never act on it. Yeah, that's true. They don't ever act <laughs> on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what the that's what the artist was about, and it is actually, and I had no idea it was going to be this way. It is. A silent movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's only a couple. Yeah, essentially, of, yeah, it, there's only a couple of points that mm-hmm. they use sound, and they're right. really it's really interesting as it uses sound. Sure, but you need so when you sit down to watch. There's the, a dream sequence, and then the, at the end, right, right. Yeah. and then at the very end. So it's funny because Laura was gonna like okay, she was gonna watch part of it with us, mm-hmm. but she was doing laundry as oh, yeah. as well, <laughs> and it's this is not a movie. Yeah. You just have to sit down and watch the movie because mm-hmm. you you're not gonna otherwise it's just music. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a literal 2011 silent movie. How long did it take you to figure it out? <laughs> uh, 
I kept thinking that it was going to switch. Right. I have to say, I, it took me a little while for for me to realize that Wings was... Okay. And I should have known because it was 1927. I don't know when the silent movies were. Well, and and it starts with uh, a silent movie within the movie where he's being kind of tortured, and his first line is, I will never talk. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, so they start this. So that's right, I forgot how they started it. So they're in the silent movie. But then the weird thing was when they stopped the scene, it kept being silent. Right. So yeah. then it was probably a little while into it before mm-hmm. I realized, like, I don't know, it's probably a good half an hour before <laughs> I was like, okay, this is just it. It's yeah. just, it. this is this whole thing is going to be a silent movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes you'll watch a movie yeah. and the first scene will be, you know, a war scene and you've got the German generals talking to each other. And yeah, it's, or and it's Subtitles, right? But yeah. then it moves into well, like it's, from Roger Rabbit, or the first scene is just a cartoon. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so it was very. I wasn't expecting it, but um, but I actually really liked the artist. Yeah. Um, did I like it more than Moneyball? I don't know that I liked it more than Moneyball, but or the Help, but I did really enjoy this movie. Yeah. Did you watch it with Adam? I watched yeah. it with Adam. Okay. Yeah, he was, he was okay with it. Yeah. yeah. I think I liked it more than he did, but. Oh, I know why. He <laughs> fell asleep during. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's kind of similar to my first reaction. Coming back to it, kind of knowing the gimmick behind it, mm-hmm. I have to say it just, I did not get much out of it this time. Okay. I think that it is kind of an exercise in style over substance. Yes. Not necessarily a bad thing because style's Mm -hmm. important, but there's, I struck by very, how little there is at stake in this, which seems like it's odd to say because it's, there's suicide and a fire and becoming impoverished and, and divorce and yeah. Big things, but there's not much of a hook to show why we should care about it specifically. Um, I don't think it's very clear actually why he's what's driving him to suicide. It's almost just because it's the time in the story for something dramatic to happen. The thing with his storyline, I think, is it's just very much a story straight line down. Yeah. Starts at the top. Yeah. And he's kind of at rock bottom it's, by the... It's like a slide. Yeah. Down. It's just a slide. There's no ups and downs. It's... So... And he he's kind of at rock bottom by the midpoint of the movie. And then it's just like a... A series of crashes. Just that's kicking like, him while he's down. Yeah. Like... You know, Passing out in the bar, and then he's starting a fire, mm-hmm. and then the suicide thing. And I just I don't think it does a really good job of saying like why seeing his furniture drives him to suicide, or at least even drives him to go to a store and look at a suit, and then hear a cop, and then go kill himself. I don't think it's really very, doesn't really tell that story all that effectively. So I just think there's like very little of substance here. As far as the romance, which is very sweet, it's like kind of starts as a very innocent, very chaste attraction, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great way to start it, and but that's also how it middles and ends. Yeah. And it's like, I just don't think the movie's that curious into what's making her tick. Like, you know, she's buying all his stuff at auction and storing it in her house. Is like, she obsessed with him? Is she in love with him? Does she just feel bad for him? Does she just feel grateful for what he did to her? Like, it's just not, we don't get any motivation. It's just, things happen and... 
it looks good in the black and white while it's happening, but I just don't. It's... I can see that. Yeah. I think I, the thing that I liked about this yeah. is it's a good example of how you can get in your head of, you know, so he had a, so the reason, I'm assuming, so yeah. at the last scene, we hear him finally talk. Right. You know, she finally, you know, he has a suicide attempt. Yeah. She finally, you know, gets him to do tap dancing with her. Right. And anyway, and then we hear him talk. And then we, when we hear him talk, we realize he has an accent. Right. A pretty strong mm -hmm. French accent or some, some sort of accent. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, this has been about the accent the whole time. And then, and then it was just like, oh, that's, so then it was like, immediately I'm starting to replay the whole thing yeah. in my mind and realize like, oh, all right, if you're a silent movie star and you have an impediment, mm -hmm. right. for him it would have been, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but, you know, for, yeah. you're, you, have, you have universal appeal in a silent movie because you can just dub it in whatever language that you want. But if it's... Yeah, that was actually um, Charlie Chaplin's big objection to sound when it came out was that the great thing about cinema is that it's a universal storytelling medium. Yeah. Like a, a novel, like, as a non-Russian speaker, you can never really fully enjoy Crime and Punishment. Right, because right? you're, cause you're, you're getting just, a translation. Never even a good translation. Right. You're not getting... Whereas a movie, it's just anybody can enjoy right. it because yeah. it's telling the story through action, and and so and that that is a big difference. Sound was kind of like a train that just barged through. Yeah. So so I guess when I then when I saw okay he had this inflated ego from being this right. big star. So a man really full of pride and his right. you know but yeah. but he realizes if they start doing talking movies there are yeah. i mean i still see it with to be honest senior citizens now yeah um so people who were you know born in the whatever 40s even 50s right. they you know you watch people have if somebody's got a foreign accent they they don't like it. You know, they have bias towards oh, people yeah. with foreign accents. I, oh, I think some it's people who aren't old. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's when you look at how I don't know if it's just because people yeah. are old or if it's just because things have gotten better, people are more tolerant about Yeah. You know, you don't have to all be the same. But anyway, I if I if it is kind of a aging, I mean, right. it is kind of that era then there were probably a lot of people that, you know, have in their mind what yeah. his voice sounds like, and then if they hear it... Yeah, and I think the movie could have done a better job at collecting those thoughts. I think that's... Because, like, as you're describing it, it's so central to the motivation that I don't... I don't yeah. think it's wise to just reveal that at the end, because as you're going through it, it's never actually... No, it's not. Why his career? Because, and a lot of people did just have that experience where their career ended with yeah. talkies. But Especially it's not very, if you have like a speech impediment or yeah, like and a lot of them had thick accents. Mm -hmm. A lot of immigrants were yeah in movies. Uh, Greta Garbo yeah in particular. Oh yeah, yeah. and in at at a time Who did have a very successful sound career. Right at a time when. Immigrants weren't looked at kindly, right? And actually, yeah, maybe we're getting right. back to that time now, but yeah. but certainly that. But I, I think, and you're right. I, I'm not I'm not arguing whether they did yeah. a good job. I'm just saying no, what it did to me at the right. end. Then I and, went back and it was like, yeah. oh, okay, all his because all the way through, I'm like, why are you being so proud? Right? Why are you being so proud? Yeah, because the studio wanted him, at, wanted at least initially. Yeah. John Goodman yeah. is the director. Yeah, So good, yeah. <laughs> they did. They were open to him doing this, and it's like, 
but he wouldn't even try. So then it was at the end, you're like, yeah. oh, this whole thing was right. about, and it's still yeah. irrational it is. because it's like, just try it anyway. But to me, it reminded me of so yeah. many people who can just get in their head about something. And once you get in your head right. and you can't get out, like, yeah, you watch it. You, you watch them, people will build a narrative in their head that you just can't, they can't break out of. And then you watch it make them descend. And yeah. I thought, well, that's a, that's, that's a really, that's a really interesting thing. And I'd like to say you're ridiculous if it never happened, but there no, probably I, would be people that wouldn't, but do it anyway. Were, you still would have been better off. Yeah. The... The problem with the character arc is that the eventual resolution, I mean, it could have happened at any point along his downfall. It's yeah. just, you could become a dancer, which apparently he already knew. We saw it at the 15-minute mark and then again at the hour and 40-minute mark. Yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it's not like, it's, it doesn't show him learning anything that gets to that revelation at the end. It's just kind of marking time until it gets there. Yeah. But, I mean, I really, I don't, I don't think we're uh, actually that far, far apart because no, your reaction's similar to mine initially. Yeah. Also, I think the, the extent to which they pull off the silent movie thing is a little bit skin deep, too, mm -hmm. because I think that they're not... A lot of the scenes were kind of dependent on uh, writing it like you write a sound movie. They were kind of dialogue dependent mm -hmm. and not kind of telling the story through action yeah, the that's way silent movies do. Which is why you have to absolutely pay complete attention. Right. Uh, but like, even in, because one of the things, it's still a good writing technique for sound movies, but one of the things that was something in, in silence is to use little props or to have things invested with meaning which kind of will visually tell the story. Like if you remember in Wings, the locket and the teddy bear. Yeah, right. And so that's a way to create something visually that can express emotion without having to do it with dialogue. Uh -huh. Which surprised me here because there's this scene, of really a lovely design scene where in the studio has kind of this triple tier with the staircase. Oh, yeah, it was really yeah, a beautiful yeah, yeah. set. Really... And at that moment, he's coming down the stairs and she's coming up, which right. kind of reflects yeah, yeah, yeah. the plot. But then she writes down her phone number and we get a close-up of the top where she has mm -hmm. it on this piece of paper. And I'm sitting there watching, oh, it's like, oh, I don't even remember this part or how that comes back and... and but it never comes back. Mm. But that's something that you could use right. as a prop later. Right. Yeah. As, you know, maybe remind him of something. Yeah. And, you know, another way they could have done it, like with his marriage, it's also a flat line because it's really just also, he has an unhappy marriage the whole movie and she right. just decides to leave it at one point. But if you remember their first scene together... She's reading the paper that says, who's that girl? And mm -hmm. she's ticked off at him. Right. He does this kind of routine with his dog where he's kind of a Charlie Chaplin-esque routine right. where they're making the same gestures. Uh -huh. And she gets ticked off and walks off in a huff. Well, I'm thinking, wouldn't that be better if at this point in the story that turns her mood around? And this routine, like reignites the spark so that there's mm -hmm. something at stake in this marriage. Mm -hmm. And then later on when she's complaining about how the things are wrong with the marriage, he you can do that visual thing again with the dog mm -hmm. and now it doesn't, doesn't work. work. So you can see this yeah. spark in the relationship that's not there anymore through yeah. that action. But it just doesn't yeah. it's like the the marriage seems to be dead from the very beginning and right. so there's not much at stake when she leaves right. it's just yeah so it's you know yeah i would say uh, that this one you know as they're doing it it was you know they seem to be trying hard doing it in black and white 
Mm-hmm. Somebody movie. All right. Is it the best movie? I don't know no. what other movies that were there, especially right. knowing I only know a couple of them and right. I would put both of them above it. But yeah. Um, but at least it was in the realm, whereas I don't think it's, Coda was. <laughs> well, I, I prefer Coda, but I mean, at least with Coda, there was... Well, I mean, that's kind of interesting, because like after a single viewing of each, I think I probably yeah. did have, if I go back to my original list, I probably did have the artist higher. But for both movies, knowing what you're in for going back a second time... There's really nothing here, whereas with Coda, oh, you have really interesting relationships. And yeah. it's like okay. You yeah, have a, the deaf experience from very different perspectives of each member of the family. Okay. So there's much more to how long to. Okay. Um, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's... Um, again, if I'm summing it up, I'd say it's style over substance, which is... Good enough for a pleasant movie-going experience 11 years ago and a kind yeah. of a lackluster revisit today. And also, I would say it's a movie I kind of started forgetting as soon as the credits rolled. Yeah. It's like, because really going back into it, um, I mean, it was front of mind just because I'd been predicting it for so long, but mm-hmm. I was like, I really only remembered the glass like if I remember what's the what happens in the artist, it's like well he puts down a glass and he can hear it. Oh right. I remember that part, and then I think like he tries to shoot himself or something. But the, the, mm-hmm. I remembered very little about it. Yeah. Yeah, I had it at fifty, oh, fifty six, almost the same, going in. Oh okay. So maybe um, Koda I had at sixty four. Yeah. Okay. So I had it after a better first viewing. Yeah. Better than Coda, actually very similar spots. But. Yeah, I think sixty four is a good place for Coda. After the first. Well, that movie. was my yeah. I think the strongest part of that movie is the dream sequence, mm-hmm. and I almost think that I feel like the story kind of wanted to switch to sound at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, going yeah. forward. That's what I actually oh, thought was going to happen the first time. That's definitely what I thought yeah. was going to happen the first time. And I think that would that actually be more interesting time. as, like, a maybe a, have him as a silent guy in a sound world. Mm-hmm. And so, I, but I think one of the things is the movie was kind of made as a challenge of making a, a silent movie. Yeah. So they didn't... Right. So it's yeah. like, sometimes you just have to go where the story wants to go. Yeah. Which... I can see I, Yeah. You know, and again, it does look good. I like the dog. Well, the dog was great. Yeah. Yeah, so what, any actor? Uh, yeah, I got what 10 nominations. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, um, including two of its actors. Okay. Would mean the, two, the two main actors. Yeah, yeah Bernie Spejo, who played... Um, uh, Pippi, no Peppy, Peppy Miller. Okay. Uh, she was a Best Supporting Actress nomination nominee. Okay. Lost to Octavia Spencer for the help. Oh. Yeah. She's the one that good. makes the pie. Yeah. That, good call. <laughs> she was great. Yeah, she's so good. Yeah. yeah. And John Dujardin won Best Actor. Really for this yeah, role? Okay. For this, yeah. yeah okay. He. Um, Who was his French actor? Uh, Brad Pitt. For Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, George Clooney, uh, Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and Damien Bashir uh, for A Better Life. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, Meryl Streep won Best Actress for third Oscar for Iron Lady, playing Margaret oh. Thatcher. And Best Supporting Actor was to Christopher Flummer for Beginners. Beginners? Yeah, so that was it. It won for Best Picture, Best Directors, Michael Hanavicius. He got Best Director also? Yeah, he won Best Director. Wow, so this was a good... This was a good... Uh, it was a good haul for good this movie. for him. I think it won Best Score, too, which I can see. It was, the yeah. music was quite lovely. Yeah. Um, 
got best score. Uh, costume design. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's see what's coming up next. No, we can't. First, you have to do another pick because you only have oh, four. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. So, what, what are your picks? So, my picks are Kramer versus Kramer, Marty, American Beauty, Nomadland, and what's the last one? No Country for Old Men. No Country for yes. Old Men. Yeah. So, Which, we're, we're predicting what's going to come in at number 54. Yeah. So um, those are my picks. Yeah, my picks. I had picked the artist. I have to come up with a new one. My, mm-hmm. my ones I picked before are Patton, You Can't Take It With You, Gladiator, and The Lost Weekend. And kind of going between two different movies, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Slum Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, from. 2008. 2008. I'll put that up on your yeah. board. The aughts still have eight or seven movies left from the aughts, which wow. is really surprising, almost halfway through the list. Yeah, that is. All right, well, let's see what's going to be number 54. Plug in the number. Oh, wait, where's my drum roll? Oh, Rain, Rain Man. Man. Oh, wow. I, we haven't. That's not on either of our lists. That's interesting. Wow, Rain Man. Okay. Okay. So but the Rain 80s Man is, is down to three. Rain Man is from 1988. Yeah. See, so I get married. Yeah. Okay, I've seen this. I'm movie. sure. Yeah, I'll see it. Okay, okay, so we're going to watch it again. We're going to watch it again and talk about okay, it. I haven't seen week. it in a long time. Yeah, I haven't either. Okay, Tom yeah. Cruise. Tom oh, Cruise. Still at the top of the. Dustin Hoffman, yeah. So yeah, we'll be back next week with um, Bye. Bye.